Welcome back to Recorded Conversations, the podcast that's dedicated to compassionately considering all perspectives while engaging in authentic, connected dialogue. I'm Danielle Kingstrom. Coronavirus has created pandemonium, panic, division, racism. It has reminded us that we are underdeveloped. And I think it's fitting, coincidental, but unfortunate all at the same time that I'm introducing my next guest in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. What my guest Nora Speakman and I talk about in this episode is how love is underdeveloped and she discusses her new book, Underdeveloped Love, and why it's so important that we learn how to develop. The panic and the chaos and the confusion and the condescension, of which I myself have been guilty of, are creating disconnect and the conversation you're about to hear is all about connection and love and why eroticism why development why transformation why all of these things help us deal with massive emergencies like we have before us right now so I ask that you take into extra consideration listening as intently as you can to this discussion in seeing if there's a way that you can take anything that we discuss and apply it to your daily lives especially right now amidst all of the panic uh, we're all scared and we all have fears and that's one of the reasons that we react and it's our fears that keep us from developing our love into its truest potential Nora Speakman is a podcaster, a published author, a speaker, a life coach. She is embarking on a new journey with Alexander John Shia, in which they are developing the Shia Speakman Publishing House. We talk a little bit about that. We talk about her relationship with author Alexander John Shia. And we talk about rebirth. We talk about how we are raw in unrefined materials. And I think that's quite obvious right now. We are raw and reactionary, emotionally triggered, and we are thinking that we are our anger. And one thing that Nora reminds us is that we are not our anger. We are not our emotions. And from there, we talk about how lovemaking is an art form, how intimacy and developing love through Eros can help us learn how to reject the labels that we have been using to define us, how we can move past this idea that our bio represents who we are, and how we can begin to look at each other in the way that we hope God looks at us. To learn more about Nora Speakman, you can log on to her website, norraspeakman.com. You can also find her on Facebook and you can find out more about the Shia Speakman House by searching for the same name on Facebook. Listeners, I ask you to compassionately consider the perspective of Nora Speakman. Enjoy the show and be compassionate to one another. good idea that's a good idea I (laughs) randomly like last night no joke me and Corey were having sex and I just stopped and I'm like I just thought of something and I'm like (laughs) and I literally went and wrote it down I'm such a dork so funny yeah he thinks it's funny though he's like you're so weird you're thinking about work right now (laughs) yes yes I am always well your work is 
sexual. It is. So that makes Me sense. Too. Like, of course <laughs> I'm thinking about it. Um, it was really funny when me and Julie were talking, she said she had presented kind of like this thing that she was working through. And she goes, and then Nora asks me this question and flips it around. And we were both laughing about how you always oh, do funny. that. I'm like, damn her, right? Like every time you come to her, she's Yoda. like, now let's look at it from this angle. <laughs> Don't do those Jedi mind tricks with me. It's I good know. stuff though. So, so what are, what have you just recently added to your manuscript? That's so funny. Um, so I'm five chapters in. Mm. plus the intro. And I started it probably two weeks ago. But you know, when there's something in you, it mm. just is pouring out. And so it's an interesting journey because it's combining not only what I've gleaned through my <clears throat> space in Christianity, but then also Buddhist parables, um, you know, um, wise stuff from the Upanishads, just different streams. And I want to help people feel comfortable in understanding that it isn't just one way. We can learn from the great wisdom traditions and then represent it for everybody. And so it's called the, tell me again, it's the under underdeveloped love. I love and that. where it came from was because of the um, witnessing well, that's really funny. So let me back up. So, so one day this woman reached out to me from Kenya and she has sort of this creative store and this creative store with embroidery and things is how she feeds her family. Hmm. It's actually, actually two families. And I began thinking through like, how can I help her? Because I felt like in so many ways there's, a her here who has so much more opportunity, except we don't take advantage of the opportunity that we have available to us. But ours isn't because there isn't the opportunity. It's because mentally we don't attach to the opportunity. Mm. And yeah. so we function in our lives like we live in an underdeveloped country, but we don't. We're underdeveloped in love, in love of ourselves, in love to others in how we see things and it stunts us and stifles us from really reaching the fullness of understanding our creativity. So that's really interesting. We lived in, we live in a developed country. So do we maybe inauthentically take on this pseudo developed mentality and thinking that we just have to follow and, and play with what everybody else is doing and then we're good. You know what? It's worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's good. It's worse than that. And, and what's fabulous to me is in the intro, what I do is I liken it to visually because I'm a visual learner. And so I take the reader there and say, imagine that you're walking in this underdeveloped country and you see the ruins, but you see the architecture and the, the constructs of what should have been, right? And, and yet they were never fully developed. And there's spaces for families and there's spaces for business. Why weren't they realized? And then around that is the most beautiful, lush garden that is flourishing, which is Eden. But we think we're still locked out. Mm. Isn't that wild? And so, 
this is where I go with stuff. I, I mean, it's just it. like, and I don't even need psilocybin. <laughs> <laughs> it just is. It's just crazy town up here. But <laughs> visually, <laughs> that's what happens. And so then one thing leads to another. And so then I do my whole what if game that I play with people. I do that to myself all the time. Yeah. Awesome. So it's just crazy. So I love that. You know, I've been trying to use that kind of terminology actually after I finished Heart and Mind um, by Alexander John Shia. And because he, you know, he talks about how we have to get rid of that whole light and dark, good and bad, dualistic way of thinking. And I started trying to use different words and maybe he even just dropped a word down and I picked up from it, but it was developed and underdeveloped. And I decided to just see things in that kind of view, like developed and underdeveloped and, and not my negative qualities about my own personality need work, but I just need to develop what's underdeveloped. And I think that takes away a lot of pressure and it takes a negative connotation away from who we are. Because I think even when we are underdeveloped, there's nothing actually wrong with that. We've just been waiting for experiences and moments for us to develop ourselves a little bit further. So I think it's really good terminology that we, we kind of turn away from that whole light versus dark and move towards something. And it sounds like your book will kind of help get us there from looking at what is underdeveloped. And so you're going to offer processes and methods for how to develop. So what are some of the concepts um, or maybe even just components of a, of a person that they need to, that you think that, universally we all need to work on developing? Well, that's a great question. So first, I think I want to define when it begins because I think so many times like we think, why are we stunted? What are we, why do we not even realize sometimes that what we're projecting is actually a reflection of who we are? What we don't like about people, we can usually find in us and it's insidious and it's gross when you see it and it's like no but I don't like that about her and it's like no 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 that's what you don't like about you (laughs) it's like damn but in the ages of really between about a year and a half to six we are literal sponges as Mm -hmm. they say we're soaking up everything and when you consider a child between those ages has no filter and has no rule of validity. Like, does this make sense or not make sense? It just is. And our little brains are in this stage they call theta, where we are we are just taking things in at this crazy megahertz um, time frame, and we have no ability to distinguish. We have to trust these people that God gives us as parents <laughs> and caregivers to believe that what they're doing with us is not going to end up stunting us later or harming us. And we do the same thing to our kids, right? Mm -hmm. So when we are between those ages and we're receiving all this, then it's almost like if you can consider a business being given to a four-year-old, run it. Well, what in the world? You wouldn't do that. And they don't know how. And we don't realize how many four-year-olds are running big business out there because they're underdeveloped, you know? And so it's understanding. I would say the one universal thing to your question is, and it's a big one, it's that not only are we underdeveloped in love and understanding what that means to really receive love as our source 
or God. Oftentimes I'll refer to God as love. So for people, I have to just articulate that. So they're like, what is she talking about? We don't know how to love ourselves. Mm. Yeah. And when we don't know how to love ourselves, what happens after that two to six year old thing happens where we're just sponges, 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 we end up creating our own system because we start learning that there is one, which is what you were speaking to and that our good friend, Alexander John Shia speaks to. And that is duality begins being birthed because we realize if we perform, we're going to get something out of it. Mm. So we understand if I pander to my mom, I have to do this. If I'm doing this for my father, then this is who I need to be. And at a very young age, we learn separate self. Mm. But we are not ourselves. Yeah, I agree with you. I've, I've been watching, you know, my younger children more so than my older children. I was 18 when I started having kids. And so I was still trying to figure out who I was. But yes. A part of a, this transformation has been forcing me to look at kind of mutual relation, not only with God, but my spouse, my children, how I relate to everybody else. And I'm constantly reminded of the verses throughout the New Testament about telling us to be like children. And I pay, Corey and I, especially, we're always like, they're going to teach us something today. You know, we're always watching them we're getting to a point where they're influencing us to think about things differently, but Mm. they also do start seeing themselves as separate. And I noticed something about like my youngest daughter is how bad she'll beat herself up when she forgets to do something I asked her or like when we're doing math and she gets really frustrated Mm. and she says all these things. And I'm like, I finally said, I said, Ainsley, do you think God would talk to you like that? Mm. No. Why are you being mean to yourself then? Why are you telling yourself mean things in your head? You know, when you mess up, shake it off. I messed up. I said, you are, you're eight years old. You don't know this yet. And you'll figure right. it out when you're ready. But we start so young and we start learning to take record of all of the things that we keep messing up and we allow it to create this, this negative weight. And I thought, if we're not stopping and pausing with just our children when they're at that age and reminding them, don't say these mean things to yourself. I think it will help break that kind of pattern of these negative internalized messages that we carry around throughout the day. Cause I mean, I know I have people close to me, they're in college and it's just like, I have this expectation. I must succeed. I have to get this degree. This is my plan. Da 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 da. But they give themselves so many negative internal messages. And I'm like, how are you ever going to advance and progress and actually absorb this information while you're telling yourself you can't do it? Mm-hmm. So it's just this messaging we have to twist around. And I think it starts with looking at how easily our children can just go around and do stuff, jump from topic to topic. And even in, in their temporary like tantrums and emotional reactions, they can go from that to the next without even letting it like arbor any kind of resentment later on. Yes, for yeah. sure. It's beautiful. And one of the one of the big things that I speak to is is rebirthing. Mm. And it's funny because I feel like our church world with a capital C has hijacked the meaning of rebirth and they've watered it down to um being renewed in Christ or 
um, you know, taking up your cross and then you go through this resurrection and it's like, well, what does that even mean? Mm. When you think about rebirthing, if you were to give yourself the opportunity to, as Nicodemus was like, how do I go back into my mother's womb? Yeah. Right. But if we pretend for a moment that there is the ability to rebirth and there is, what does that look like to be rebirthed through our mind, body, and spirit being in alignment? And how freaking long would it take to redevelop ourselves with love, partnering with love, and changing our lives to reflect, now I have a new system, now I have a new foundation. How do I even begin to tear down the old construct so that I can allow for this beautiful rebirth and getting to know who I truly am. It's fascinating. So how do we do it? What's your recommendation? How did it start for you? Well, it was understanding for me first that we are spirit beings. We are spirit beings and we don't have to objectify life through an object or through a person or through an ideology. In other words, if all I am about is my marriage, what happens when my marriage is gone? Mm, yeah. If I'm all about money, what happens when my bank account is depleted? I am not my circumstances. Mm. I am a spirit being on this continuum that is never ending. Circumstances come and go, even an emotion. If I get angry, I, my spirit being is present when the anger begins and my spirit being is present when the anger passes, right? But I am not, so I am not my anger because the anger has come and gone and I am still present. So how do I learn to step outside of that? The other thing that you spoke so beautifully to is again, these labels and the, and the construct that we learn and what I had to realize is, as I wanted to learn from the great wisdom traditions that are not Christianity, how can I do that, letting go of the shame and guilt that typically comes with it? Mm. Even doing yoga. I mean, people are like, oh, you're a heretic. Yes. So, so first of all, how do we rid ourselves of that? And it's understanding for me, it was learning that I allowed humanity to teach me about God instead of experiencing God to teach me about you. Yes. Isn't that crazy? It gives me chills still. Yeah. Yeah. I love when you put it that way. It just, yeah. It makes you go, what have I been doing? (laughs) Yes. Yes. It is hard to let, I was just going to say, it is so hard to let go of the labels because we are taught from such a young age that these labels are what define us. You are a boy. You are a girl. You are tall. You are short. Because we are teaching our children how to discern. I notice that when I do flashcards, we do that. We're like, this is this. This is this. This is the opposite. Yes. This is the opposite. But we create their world around these parameters of labels, and they have no other choice but to go, okay, that's what I am. Sure. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. But then you take it on and you carry it on, and then we live in this era right now where that is all you are defined by anymore is what is on your bio and that's who you are. And I think that's all you are, what you can fit in a bio. And we don't realize that those labels limit us. They don't, they don't diversify us. They don't make us stand out. They limit us and they Mm kind of make us all look the same. So to that end. Totally agree. I totally agree. And I think that 
like I said, it's insidious. We don't realize we do it. We don't realize that we go along with it. So in my deconstruction, as the, the buzzword goes, I had to dismantle everything. And that was even removing the power that of the, of the construct of God that people had given me and that I had bought into. So I literally, for a time, stopped praying. I stopped reading only Christian texts. I had to really begin again. And that was, for me, truly allowing myself to rebirth, was to rebirth without any um, preconceived understanding or bias that we would have towards something because we've heard it over and over. And I'll give you an example that I put in the book, the story of Cain and Abel, where you know they both bring their little sacrifice and God tells one, you know, I'm, I love it, right? But the other one, he's like, not so much. And I think that people go, what in the world? First of all, he's choosing, right? And then it's like, he tells them, why has your countenance fallen? Don't you know that you have, you know, if things, if you do things well, things will go well with you. And what we hear in the Christian way is, but sin is crouching at the door and it's waiting, you know, to overtake you, but you can overcome it. That's what we hear in the mm -hmm. translation. The Hebrew Bible and the Hebrew wording isn't so easy. So it's, it's, in other words, we give pronouns to everything. Mm -hmm. There could be male or female. Not so in the Hebrew language. It has to assign in the right way. So when you start breaking it down, you realize that what it says there is, yes, why is your countenance fallen? But what God tells Cain is your emotions are sort of dramatic. You're being a drama queen, <laughs> effectively. But you can learn to rule your emotions. Mm. Well, what a difference. It is. A you know, it's not about sin and avoiding what we call sin. It's about learning to control how we respond to things because that is what leads to sin. Mm. I had to, I let go of the idea of sin. I thought that for me, I had walked, you know, I walked, when I was caught up with the church out here, I was, you know, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. I see you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. And so I was like one of those people that walked around talking about people and then people would go, well, you have sin. And then I'd be like, well, what does Paul say about sin? I will boast of my sin, you know? So it was like this <laughs> self-righteous mentality I was walking around with, but I don't, I want to say it was maybe the words of, I don't even know, Thomas Merton was such an influence for me mm -hmm. to just go, I'm letting go of so much. And I just let go of the word of sin. And I thought, I'm just taking that out of my vocabulary. I'll use it as a cliche. I'll use it when I'm talking about these ideas when I'm writing. But for me to walk around and go, oh, I've sinned or feeling like that I have the weight of a sinner, that I need to repent of my sin was such a chore. And I, for, mm -hmm. you know, I just kind of went, is this really what you want me to be like, oh, walking around, like biting on my fingers all day? Like, did I mess that up? God, did I mess? Because I would never want my children to do that. Walking around on eggshells. Am I going to yes. piss my mom off today? Am I going to get in trouble today? And that was the view that I had held, which is ironic because I actually was like that as a child with my own mother. Like we walked around on eggshells. Is mama going to freak out today? 
And so I don't know, sometimes I think that parallel was just kind of impressed upon me. I took the God and took my mom together. And it was like this, this fear, like I'm looking over my shoulder, who's keeping record of my wrongs, because leave it to my mom, every time she's ever gotten upset at me, she wants to remind me of all the things that I did to screw up. Mm. And that was a God I wasn't willing to accept. And I thought that is not possible. We cannot have a God that's so trivial and, and petty who's, who's, who's keeping record of everything. And then we go to first Corinthians and we talk, it talks right there about love doesn't keep record of wrongs. I looked at that in some light and I just thought that's it. Like we can't hold stuff against people. What they Mm -hmm. did in the past is not what they're doing right in the moment. And we use that. I think we use that to keep people separate from us because we believe we're separate from God. And that's just the relationship we're supposed to have. Yes. And yes. So that's also, you you could have written this book with me. (laughs) Because that's what, one of the big things that I point out is like the Israelites who, you know, were on their path to the promised land. And when Moses, when they're on the doorway of it, when we know he doesn't go with them, but he says, it's an 11 day journey. Took us 38 years, you know, and I could see him probably like my, my second father, the rabbi, talking with his hands and going, you people, how long? But um, in realizing that it took them so long, because as Rabbi Tarlow would say, in order to really feel and get freedom, we have to know who we are. We have to know our name. Mm-hmm. We have to know our identity. And if you remember in that story, they relied on Moses to be the liaison because they didn't feel worthy of hearing God's voice and experiencing God. Mm. So they distanced themselves and kept themselves fear-based, right? Let's make something, the calf that we can touch and see and we create, which is what we have perpetually done. We're still constructing freaking golden calves. Yeah, we do that today. Like it feels like Moses is modernity's version of the expert. Like they were like, You are the guru, tell us what yes. to do. And it was like, No, you have to figure this out for yourself. I can't tell you what to do. Yes. And we do that now. We 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 defer to the expert and you know, and I wrote about this too. We always need someone else to qualify what we're doing. Like, mm-hmm. did I do this right? Is this how it's supposed to be done? What does the system say about the way I'm supposed? Am I really a true feminist? If I also think, you know, we're always trying to figure out, are we qualifying what we think about ourselves? Yes. And we fail to realize that when we finally come to those positive ideas and thoughts about ourselves, I think that should be like it. That's it. Yes. That's exactly how you're supposed to view yourself. Yes. Mm -hmm. You are enough. Yes. You are loved. Yes. You already are qualified. Mm -hmm. And if you're doing it from, you know, if you're filtering everything through your heart and you're really doing what you believe is the best in the interest of you, <laughs> go with it. And it's funny in the ways that for me anyway, I know I'm weird and I learn lessons. Yes, you in, are weird. No, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I know that there'd be so many people to be like, we know she is. Um, but I don't remember what it was a payment that I needed to make to whatever, whoever it was. And I remember calling them because I was going to have to be late. And I felt like some, like I can't even meet my obligations. You should just totally punish me. Like there's this mentality that for me, I had to really get rid of. And I'll never forget calling them. And they said, well, we understand. Just call us when you're able to do it. And Mm. it was like, 
no, 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 no. I am not able to do it. It probably is going to have to wait a week. And here I'm waiting for the, you know, the yes, and you're a horrible person and you can't even. And they were just as nice as could be. And it was all about, and she said, there's no um, penalty and there is no added interest. Just call us when you can do it. And I thought, I hung up and I went, what a difference when things happen. Mm -hmm. Because we automatically believe if something negative, back to our labels, is occurring, I must not have done something right. I must not be loved. I must not be worthy. Because when I look around and see all these other people who are experiencing what I'm looking for, what I want, then they must be leading a better life than me. And I must have somehow offended God or whoever. It just, it's, it's wild when you start practicing mindfulness and paying attention to what actually goes on up here between your ears. And you know, a lot of people are like, well, I don't have that mentality. And I liken it to that whole, when a storm happens, God must be mad. You know, that was a mentality um, that I remember just, knowing friends having like if a storm happened if a tornado happened god must be mad at me and that's an extreme version of the way we do it but we internalize in that way too even if you call yourself an atheist you get to the point where something bad happens and you're like okay i did something wrong where did yes. i mess up what did i miss and we start blaming ourselves right away and in some aspect, I think we do that because we feel like we're being accountable for our actions and it's like big of us mm -hmm. to blame ourselves instead of someone else. But I think sometimes we need to realize that things just happen and there isn't a scapegoat necessary at all. You don't have to blame yourself. You don't have to blame anyone else. You yes. can accept it. And I would like to clarify that when I say accept something, I don't mean you condone it, you endorse it. It just means you see it for what it is you see that it happened and there's nothing you can do to change it. Either learn from it or sometimes things are just inconvenient and just pop into our stratosphere of existence and we don't have to learn anything from it or do anything with it either. For me, I don't know if a lot of those inconveniences happen on the regular, but I think a lot of times we can get caught up in trying to overanalyze every moment we experience and like, what's the lesson here? What's the lesson here? And sometimes yes. you have to let it go. Yes. And it's, well, yes. And so it, it can feel like, I think that some of our good churches sometimes will say, if you look hard enough, it's almost like you can find a demon behind every tree, you yes. know, that's making you do it or whatever, instead of just sort of going with the flow and being able to mindfully love ourselves, receive love, and then we move on. But I think that we are so conditioned to holding on to things that we don't realize that those things we that we hold on to. And then we find in every facet of our life, like a pattern prevents us from continuing to build. Yeah, that's good stuff. So your book, when you finish it, you publish it, it comes out. What do you hope people glean from it? Like, what is the one thing you could say, if I saw people doing less of this, I would know my book resonated with them. If I saw people not maybe even just something simple that could be observed by other people. Like if I saw some person stop posting in this way or responding in this way or behaving in this way, what would show you that 
your overall message made an impression on them and that they would start realizing that there's some developing that they can unfold into? I think having love as the center of everything, right? And so we move from this disjointed way of experiencing life to a place that is more unitive where we can celebrate Easter and maybe chant Indian mantras. <laughs> and it's okay. I think that it's, it's, it's understanding that life is, period, it is. And we can find life with love at the center, even when it looks very different from what we've experienced before. And maybe it's in being willing to look at something from another expression or from another experience that helps to broaden and actually give us the opportunity to develop. I mean, for me, underdeveloped love feels a lot like our country right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's so weird to me because the juxtaposition and the irony is we live in this place where we can pretty much build whatever the heck we want. Mm -hmm. And yet we keep dividing and tearing down and burning bridges. I don't understand it. Yeah. And it feels like we've just, we're, we've two sides, two sides opposing the other is what it seems like so much. And I think that is such a story for the way that we think too. But it's like what I try really hard to look at a person that someone else is demonizing and find a way to love them. Right? Like, a lot of, like, if I see a lot of people just Trump, blah, 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 I'm like, okay, but let's look at them the way we hope God's looking at them because we hope God's looking at that, you know? And people are like, whose side are you on? Mm -hmm. I think, hmm, if I'm willing to look at Trump and say that there, you know, he was created, I mean, he was qualified by his existence just like I was, like, why can't we mm -hmm. see that? why can't we be willing to look at people as humans instead of right or left, good or evil, Republican or Democrat, liberal or conservative. Yes. And it's that dynamic that we need to shut down yes. and be able to go, there could be good things about him. And there, I mean, he's got people that love him and that has to account for something. And why, I think what we don't do is we don't look at why we're willing to hate someone so easily. What does that say about me? That's the one thing I always think when I get when I get mean or snippy or snarky or condescending mm -hmm. to someone. I think, oh, what is that saying about me right now? What is mm -hmm. that revealing about how I'm feeling or something I've experienced? Mm -hmm. Why can't we step back and <laughs> not realize all that hate we project is probably something we've experienced or something that we are feeling about either ourselves or someone closer into our life that we're not dealing with. I think right. Trump has become the ultimate scapegoat for all of the problems for everybody, always. Now, like it is Trump. It is Trump derangement sy syndrome. It is PTSD from Trump. It is Trump, 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 Trump. And I'm like, why are we using Trump as this, this scapegoat? And then why are other mm -hmm. people using him as the idol? Like, what is that about? It's so weird. It's weird. Well, and it's interesting from a sociological perspective because- I think that what he represents in his rhetoric and his posturing is what we all try to hide in the closet, mm. you know? And so, and he's bold enough to say, I make no excuses. This is what it is. 
how many people wouldn't like to live like that? <laughs> but because of our separate selves, he has no separate self. He lets us see it and, and take <laughs> it or leave it. I mean, really. And he has his means to back him up. Now, is he truly happy? I don't know. But I wonder about that. Is, is he just the manifestation physically of what we all wish we could do and say, mm, yeah. you know, and we have sort of hid and we're going, you're not playing by the rules because we all have to be civil and we all have to make room and we all have to. And in reality, he's, he's the epitome of vulnerable. Yeah, it really is. He puts it all out there and it's mm -hmm. like, no holds barred. Take me as I am. I don't care. Like, <laughs> you know, what's funny is like, I wrote myself a little note the other day just because I was getting caught up in my head and it was fuck what everybody else thinks. That's what he does. That's his mentality. The problem with that though is, well, then you can get caught up in, in your own self and really hurt people. But he does represent the potentiality of what we can all do, what we can all embody if we wanted to. And mm -hmm. I think that just scares us. And so <laughs> that's why we might hate it so much because we know, I mean, these people have to know, right? We all know we could be that mean too, but we right. know that we shouldn't. And so mm -hmm. because we're fearful that other people will think this is okay, we mm -hmm. speak out against it in the most vile ways that we can to shut it down. But <laughs> I'm like, is there a nice way we can say, don't follow him, don't be like him? <laughs> I don't think that people can be on a television news show, especially. And I've, I've told Timothy this, I feel like writing in and saying, can you have the show and force people to not blame anyone else? Just tell us what you're thinking. Just tell us what your position is. Can you do that void of blame? Mm. I wonder, you know, wouldn't that be interesting that because, be. because well, who would they throw under the bus then? And who would be this? And who would be that? Instead of telling us all about what, who people aren't, tell us what you're trying to say. And maybe then we can have constructive dialogue to mm. get further down the path. Yes. I feel the same way. I love that you said that. I always, it's like, you can't have conversations with some people now without, you know, someone telling you something rotten happened in their life. And they have to ultimately tell you who's to blame for that. And I think mm -hmm. you can just tell me the crap is happening without <laughs> blaming the system, without right. blaming your mother-in-law, without blaming your brother. Just this is happening. And, but I think that's because we're created to be problem solvers, you mm -hmm. know? Like, I mean, that starts with testing. It's the one thing that annoys me about homeschooling is we still have to do these dumb standardized tests every year. Mm -hmm. And I think, okay, but I'm not teaching my children to be able to keep their eyes open for all of the potential definitions that might be the answer to the question because it's the way to solve the problem. Like, it's like, I'm not, mm -hmm. if we're just forcing our children to just walk around looking for problems to solve, ooh, what's the problem? What's the problem? <laughs> and it reminds me of my father-in-law too. Every time you have a conversation with him, you can just tell him like how you're feeling about the way the, the warmth of the sun feels on your skin. And he will tell you, well, you know what your problem is? Oh, <laughs> that's, that's not a problem, but every sentence starts with, you know what the problem is, you know what your problem is. Wow. And that is just the epitome of our society. We always have to identify the problem. Right. Every single time. What is the problem? Maybe there isn't one. <laughs> that's so funny. Go no, that's to, true. It just is. Life just so is. True. Yes. Yes. And I think it's that it's really understanding and, and, 
learning to live from that space that I am not my circumstance. I am not my experience. I am eternal. If I am eternal, if I believe that the cosmic Christ is eternal and, and therefore I have that ability as well, then how can I not project being situationally angry or situationally anxiolytic or whatever it is because we learn to move from situation to situation instead of tempering it to understand if it's situational, it's going to pass. Yeah. Mm. So then we can minimize it instead of maximizing it. So what is all of this sneaky, cryptic, (laughs) orange little graphics (laughs) floating around with a couple s's what's that all about you know what's funny is as i think through that though it's it's very it almost it could be depicted as um this fire that's really interesting and if it's fire for some it could be good and bad now that i'm thinking out loud as you described it i was like it's good for me i'm a sagittarius fire (laughs) there you go so oh so is alexander yes (laughs) he is Yes, he is. Um, it's funny. We, Alexander John Shia and I met quite by accident. I say that, um, I stalked him really on Facebook. Um, I think we all stalk Alexander on Facebook, (laughs) but we ended up becoming very good friends. I would say, um, just the way I describe you, just the way I describe our friend, Julie, you meet people who become family Mm -hmm. and, um, being able to share that honesty and that space with somebody is beautiful, first of all. And, and Alexander, if people don't know him, I can't believe somebody would not be familiar with his work. But he is one of the most generous and beautiful spirits that anyone would ever meet. He's very gentle. He embodies love in the most pronounced way. That's always first with his speech and how he allows people into his circle. But probably about... A year ago, we began talking through having space for other people. And really, what would it look like if we developed sort of a commune (laughs) of like-minded folks who had a message, whether it be written or a podcast? Um, What if we created an umbrella that was a home for folks? And we just started sort of fleshing that out. Um, because it's scary. You can think what if all you want in the privacy of your own home, but when you decide to put it out there, you're putting your, you're putting everything behind what you're saying. Right. Mm -hmm. And the mission really of Shia Speakman house, as we call it, is to take wisdom traditions that typically are very ancient and represent them in a modern and fresh way to host a collective of radiant hearts that are all speaking the same language as we all do. I mean, for you in your space of arrows, it's about transforming our understanding. Yeah, exactly. And what's beautiful about arrows is arrows is the transformer. I mean, arrows is the transforming component. I'm liking it to like a developing solution between sex and love. And we need arrows to develop the picture. And Mm -hmm. that turns into love because I think sex is just so basic and Mm -hmm. underdeveloped. 
Yes. And Eros is what we use to develop it. So yeah. Yeah. Checking right on that frequency of development. Uh-huh. That's interesting because when it's, it speaks to, and we need to maybe consider that even as this book is still being developed, but underdeveloped love is sexual too. I mean, think about if, if I have guards up because I don't trust, if I am not comfortable with, as I was sharing with a client the other day, intimacy is not just sex. Yeah. Intimacy begins with the emotion and the ability to, to see into one another, mm-hmm. you know, and sharing that space. And it overlaps into the physical manifestation of being able to share that passion with one another um, in a sexual way. But sex, when you think about it, is just raw. It is the act. Yeah. It is more than just the act. And a lot of people forget too is, and I was just telling my friend this last night because he's a little frustrated. He's newly married and, you know, things aren't, you know, you get married and you're like, now you're instant sex god and goddess, go for it. And that's not how it works. And so he's kind of frustrated. And I was like, look, the one thing we forget is lovemaking is like an art form we have to develop. We have to figure, we can't just go from virginal, I, I saved myself from marriage, to thinking within a year you're going to be like doing all of the crazy stuff or trying new things because you have to develop it. It is an art. It is something that requires intimacy and understanding and feeling into and seeing into the other person before mm-hmm. you can know what to do with their body the right way, before you know how to what pleases them and what doesn't. And it's all part of the process. And I think that's why Eros and, and eroticism is so important because it takes the basic, and I mean, animals ha- all have sex the same exact way. They never change it up, right? And so, sure, sex can just be that. It's penetration. It's for procreation. You're done. But lovemaking is an art form. It requires the fire of arrows. Mm. It requires a true enfleshment and connection to another person. You have to know the person, their mind, their body, their spirit. And that's when we start developing our lovemaking skills and when we can start being mm-hmm. curious and discovering other avenues and, and what have you. But yeah, there's one thing that I've been noticing that seems to be consistent when we really pause is mm-hmm. everything is a development for us. Mm-hmm. Like We are all raw, basic, unrefined materials and we have yes. to learn how to develop ourselves through all of these different processes experiences and connections with other people we can't do it by ourselves i mean there's right. no way to do any of that by ourselves mm. and so i love that you're trying to create a space where that is a general understanding nothing mm. can be done alone we need connection we need community and i think that's why the shyest speakman house is going to do wonders I'm excited. Thank you. We're I'm- all excited. And, and as you speak to, now I have a question for you. It's funny. It's your podcast. Can I ask you a question? Of course you can. <laughs> I like questions. So, so as you describe lovemaking being an art form, and you are such a beautiful artist, I mean, really, from your doodles that you create on a page with your thoughts to even allowing your children to express themselves through color and things like that. So my question is, as you consider sort of this blank canvas and that it is an art form, 
how would you describe that as an artist? How would you describe when you think of lovemaking, what, what is your medium that you think of in art and what colors come to mind? Um, what medium would I use? I would use clay. The colors that I think of with, oh man, all of them, all of them at different stages. Yeah. All of them. Clay though. I mean, clay is a, I think clay, it makes me think of ghost. (laughs) (laughs) The pottery wheel. (laughs) Patrick sways you to me more. Um, But it really does. And I mean, I remember I was really young when that movie came out and I remember thinking that was sexy. Not the sex scene that followed. That was sexy. Watching two people form this, this thing together. And I thought, it's not what follows is that I need to pay attention to how, how the sex. It's that. It's that seeing two become one, seeing two merge into each other. I think, I think that's what it is, that we mold around each other. I think lovemaking is about not just penetrating and opening up, but like really falling into each other and, and getting so entangled with one another, one another that where are the ends? I don't know. I don't know where I end and you begin. You know, that's always kind of been the image I've always seen. It's supposed to be this, this ravishing entanglement of not being able to get deep enough into each other and forming and feeling and, and yeah. Yeah. I'm going to get all hot here, Nora. No, I love that. And I, I think that I would love to see that spoken of more and because it takes what people make taboo and it people can attach to something like clay, like pottery. What does that look like for you? And the beauty of it is, is as you described it, for me, when I consider what I'm trying to accomplish through underdeveloped love is that being underdeveloped means much like a country I have no community. I have no resources. I have no one to teach me. So I can't become. When transformation is that we are always becoming, there is no beginning and end. It is a constant. It's always fluid. It's always changing. And what I can see as you describe that with clay is today may be the most amazing mug and tomorrow we may make the most creative platter. But we get to create every day in our experience, one to another, and not just, this is going to be really weird for people, which is okay. Um, We like weird. We, I know. (laughs) We experience lovemaking not only in marriage, we experience it in friendship, Mm -hmm. we experience it in every relationship that we have. It's just a different form. Yes, because lovemaking is connection making and it's just yes. mutually relating. I see yes. you as I see me as I see God. Like that's yes. lovemaking. Yes. And I love that there are so many different ways that we can make love with one another under the umbrella of arrows. And mm-hmm. none of it is sexual. It's just yes. connective. And I yes. think sex, the, the, the aspect of sex is just the bonus, but it's not the focus, the connection right. is the focus. Yes. And that's when in, in, in every aspect to become one, because when mm-hmm. we connect to someone, the reason we connect is because we see a commonality between us mm-hmm. and now we're unified in that. 
And it's like everything else can fall away when you find just one commonality. I mean, at least for me, I find that I can have feelings about someone, but if I have find out that we have a commonality and I'm like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. We're right here. And so we don't worry about that so much. We worry about, I think that's what we should focus on. We worry more about what makes us the same. So maybe we make Congress and senators swingers. Mm, There you go. That's brilliant. The answer is in teaching them to find that. (laughs) Is Timothy cracking up over there? Oh, okay. And I'm so sorry, but that's exactly where my mind went. I'm like, okay, maybe we just pair them up and do like match.com in the Senate. Thank you. (laughs) That'd be beautiful. Let's make it happen, Nora. Oh, we can always ask. So, (laughs) speaking of making things happen, what else are you making happen? You Um, You just changed the name of your podcast. What is it? The Nora Speakman podcast. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Well, you were retell your story. Yes. Yeah. And so I'm sitting here like, why isn't it refreshing? I know she's How got new funny. podcasts up. And no, I'm like, wait, she said she's changing the name. What is it now? Yeah. Well, and you know, it's interesting because that's part of, it's part of underdeveloped love is our breaking down the paradigms that keep us in our boxes, Mm -hmm. right? And so for me as a sweet friend um, shared with me and began articulating that you are the message is effectively what he said. So why is it that you aren't sort of allowing people to attach to you as the message through the name, through your branding and through, I mean, how, how much do you want to do for yourself? And it's weird because we can end up Mm self-sabotaging because of this false humility or I don't want to be seen like that kind Mm -hmm. of a thing rather than from a practical perspective, from um, something that just makes sense um, to just shift a little bit and recreate what it is that you're actually offering. And one of the biggest things that I've learned in the last half of 2019 and pushed into 2020 is, and it's in underdeveloped love. That's probably why this book has come so easy for me Mm -hmm. to write is because I've lived it, um, is be specific. Remember the story of the paralytic in, uh, at pool at Bethesda and he, Mm. he's laying there for 38 years. Well, there's a lot of mirroring in that with the Israelites, as we talked about 38 years is how long they wander too. Right. So when Jesus finds him, he doesn't say, you know, son, whatever, whatever. He says, do you want to be made well? And I think we have to stop and wonder if I put myself in that story and I'm the paralytic, And Jesus asked me, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be healed? What is it that you want? I think so often we get stuck in in all of the labels and all of the paradigms that we can't even answer that stinking question. It's being specific. Can you be specific about what you want from life? And then can you, are you willing to make some changes to make what you believe you are here to do happen? So that's part of it. And so in my asking myself that question is where the change came from and the, probably the confidence to tell Alexander, do you think it's time? I think it's time. 
or the publishing house and everything else. I think that in an, in the aspect of underdeveloped love, because we remain underdeveloped and don't know it, there are so many things in life that we don't show up for. And how many people are going to miss out because we're so afraid of showing up not only for them, but for ourselves. Absolutely. Yes. That's good. So the Nora Thank Speakman you. podcast listeners, subscribe to that. Thank you. Um, that's all I got for you today. Ah, well, I always love visiting. I do love talking to you. And I'm <laughs> seriously, the last two days has been awesome because I had Julie yesterday yes. and you today. Mm. You're so good. And I appreciate you. And I appreciate the, the world that you bring us into that is Danielle Kingstrom because you are more than just sex. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am. I am. <laughs> you have wisdom now. I'm getting there. I don't know about that, but thank you for thinking so. (laughs) And thank you for joining me on Recorded Conversations. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank Thank you to everybody for listening.